0: Some days do you wake up in the morning and you just feel like you're like ah, a couple false starts and you just keep you keep just pressing through. And sometimes it can feel that way in life. Sometimes we can feel lost, sometimes we can feel disconnected. In Luke 15, there are three parables, and I'm just gonna tell you them real quickly because a lot of people, a lot of us in religious circles and Christian circles, we know these stories. So these are the three stories. One is the parable of the lost sheep. It's a story that Jesus tells and he says, he has his, there's a good shepherd and he's got 99 sheep and one has gone off away from the 99. And the shepherd joyfully leaves, or not joyfully, but he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one that is lost, it's disconnected, that's away from the flock. And when the shepherd gets to that sheep, the shepherd puts the sheep up on his shoulders for everyone to see, and then returns to his friends and family, and he's like, "Look, I I found my lost sheep. Look at this. Look at this lost lamb that I have. The sheep that I'm carrying on my shoulders." The next one is the parable of the lost coin. It's a story about a woman who has 10 silver coins and she loses one. And she is determined to find this coin. So she sweeps out her house. First, she lights a lamp so she can see, so she can be sure she can find this coin. And then she sweeps out the house. She cleans it. She moves everything, everything in determination to find the coin. And when she finds the lost coin... Um, she takes it to her friends and family and she celebrates and she's like, yay, we found this lost coin and there's such celebration. She's determined. The next one is the parable of the lost son. It's a story about a man, a father who has two sons and the younger is rude, frankly rude to his father. He says, I'm, you're, you're pretty much dead to me. Give me my inheritance now. Let me take it and run with it. And the father lets the man, have his son, have his inheritance and run with it. And the young man goes and he leaves town. He squanders all his wealth on wild living. He ends up hungry, living in filth. But he comes to his senses and decides to come home. And it says in Luke 15 that while the son was a long way off, The father could see him and was looking for him. And the father comes running after the son. And when he sees him, he's he's just filled with compassion. He hugs him. He embraces him. He kisses him. And he welcomes him into his home, and they have a big party. Okay, those are summaries of the stories. Read them this week. But here's what I want to point out. If we could leave that slide back up, I'd appreciate it. Um, In our English Bibles, the summary of each of those parables is a parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. It's all about what is wrong, what is lost. And those are true summaries. That is what the stories are about. Um, but Chrissy McClellan, she's a, a lady I've been doing, a, reading a Bible study of hers, and she really likes to compare Western and Middle Eastern thinking. And she wanted to highlight this, and I thought it was interesting. She said, in Middle Eastern translations of the Bible, it's not about what was lost. It's about who God is. It's the parable of the good shepherd, is the way it's titled, The parable of the good woman, we can go to the next slide. I just wanted people to see how it was highlighted. The parable of the good shepherd, the parable of the good woman, and the parable of the running father. In the Middle Eastern context, the emphasis is not on what is lost, what must be searched for, or what must be redeemed, what is wrong? These are all true summaries and there's nice parallelism in those stories, but they're about what is wrong with us. But in the Middle Eastern headers, the summary or the takeaway of the story, the title of the story leaves us with images of God and about who God is about the passion of the shepherd to find his sheep, about the thorough and meticulous determination of the woman to find that coin, and about the overwhelming, relentless, reckless love of God that sees his children far off, is looking for them and running to them to welcome them home. God searches high and low and runs after us so that he can heap gifts and kindness on us and so that relationship can be restored. With those, with the English, le- with, with taking, let's say Sharon did this. I was doing the freedom seminar with Sharon and she put on glasses. And Anthony, God spoke this to us a couple of weeks ago that God wants to give us new glasses. These are my blue light glasses. <laughs> God wants to give us new glasses, new lenses to shift from the glaze from our behavior and what we're doing wrong or right to a desire to know God and who God is and who God wants to be for us. God wants to give us new lenses, Middle Eastern lenses. Let's learn from them. (laughs) Religion focuses on what's right and what's wrong, whether we're in or out, lost or found. Religion brings our gaze to us and our dysfunction and our wrongdoings. And then it offers us a checklist, a recipe, a formula of how to make ourselves right with the world, right with the earth, right with the cosmos, right? Those are all the words we hear a lot of. My prayer today is that we will shift our gaze from what is lost, what is wrong, to God, who's, a good, who's like the good shepherd and the good woman and the running father. Okay, now I'm gonna shift gears a bit. And I wanna talk about how we lose sight of God when our worship becomes religious. Or another title, I kept going back and forth. You could see I was wrestling with God this week about how to speak this Sunday. The other title could be Five Things Jesus Cares About More Than Worship. Wow. (laughs) Did I say that? Because we love worship here. We love singing. We love worship. We love the present meeting with God. So, First, a little bit of history about worship. This is what worship looked like in the Old Testament, and this is where we gain a lot of our worship practices. First of all, there was creating an altar. Oftentimes, people would make a monument to God. Then there were prayers, and there were songs. If you think about after they went through the Red Sea, and Miriam and Moses, and all of the Israelites were singing, there's a physical component to worship. There's, there was circumcision. There was lifting hands. There was bowing. There was washing. There was eating. There were purification processes. This is all different, th- different laws and ways you can find in the Old Testament of the Bible. There was tithe. And this is a worship practice that we still practice today, where you'd bring your first fruits the best of what God has given you, you would bring it back to God. The best of your livestock, the best of your harvest, the best of your income, you would say, God, I give it back to you. There was sacrificing, there was blood on an altar to atone for sin, animal sacrifices. There was a tabernacle, a place where people would come. There was a temple where people would come and gather There were other offerings. There were Thanksgiving and fellowship and restitution offerings. There were feasts, like the Passover feast, and there were festivals and the Feast of Tabernacles, and there was music. This is why we have such a high value for music today, because it's part of our tradition and history as a people of faith. And there was community. There were people together all of these worship practices and ways of doing things had purpose. They were to teach God's people how to be set apart from other peoples and nations who worshiped other gods and the ways they worshiped those other gods. Um, It was to provide a way for people to live in harmony with one another. That's what the law, that's what the practices taught us, is how to be together. That first Passover meal wasn't supposed to be eaten just with your nuclear family. You were supposed to invite another family to share the lamb with. It was always about teaching us how to live and worship together. It was a way for us to be in God's presence. It wasn't the practice of ancient people that anyone could be in God's presence. But that was what God wanted. In summary... All of these worship practices were so that we could come together and be a blessed people, blessed by one another and blessed by God, and then we would go out and bless others, and other people would know the name of Jesus and the name of God. But all together, over time, as sometimes happens, The laws and traditions and ways of God became nothing but rules to be followed, burnt offerings and sacrifices, parties and festivals, and we lost sight of God and God's presence altogether. It became a set of rituals outwardly performed to prove who was in and who was out, who was clean, who was unclean, who was lost or not lost. The feasts and temple practices became like checklists that people performed to fulfill their duty and be okay with God. And we, this is our story, humanity's story, we missed the point. Imagine, as a parent, if I had a checklist to care for my child, and honestly, I do have checklists. We have spreadsheets, (laughs) We have calendars. We use things to organize ourselves, and those are good things. (laughs) Maybe not everyone. Aaron uses more spreadsheets than I do, but I'm really thankful for his. You know, things that help us stay organized. But what if that was all our parenting was about? What if that was all our relationships were about? Rituals to be performed, tasks to be accomplished, bills to be paid, When we do life like that, we soon find it very, very empty. Think about all the YouTube tutorials or all the TED Talks that teach us how to listen, how to have empathy, the parenting seminars that that remind us. I mean, my kids are like 14, 15, and I do this parenting seminar, and I'm like, have I been looking my kids in the eyes? wait a minute, have I forgotten to connect with them in that way? Or do we just quick gather around the counter to have dinner and then all go off with our phones? Like, I have to remind, we as parents and as people, in our workplaces, we have books like Crucial Conversations, How to Connect with Someone at Work, How to Listen, we, we have to remind ourselves, we're, we're 40, we're 50 years old, and our bosses are sending us off to seminars so that we don't reduce our work relationships to spreadsheets and rituals, right? It's our nature as humans to just become religious, even at work, and cr- cross our T's and dot our I's. But life isn't just a ritual, a spreadsheet. You can't just go through the motions or you will be empty. In the years before Jesus is even born, God sends prophets to the nation of Israel. And he says, please don't treat my laws and commandments this way. You are missing the point. He sends the prophet Amos to his people. And and Amos is giving this message from God that says, come back to me and live. Quit worshiping this way at Bethel. Quit putting other idols at my place in Bethel. He says, you're twisting justice. You're making it a bitter pill for the oppressed. You're trampling the poor and despising people who tell the truth. You've got everything mixed up. And then he says, this is really harsh words in Amos 5, 21 through 24. He says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Whoa. Whoa. Away with the noise of your songs I will not listen to the music of your harps but let justice roll on like a river righteousness like a never failing stream Perhaps you remember that last verse Martin Luther King Jr it's known as his favorite verse In Hosea 6:6 God says I want you to show love not offer sacrifices I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. I want you to show love. I want you to know me. Everything about God is relational. God is love. The very nature, nature and essence of the Godhead, the Trinity, is relational. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In John 15, 16, and 17, in those chapters, you see this relationship between the Father, the Son, and even us. God, Jesus is praying, and he says, I am in the Father. The Father is in me. The Holy Spirit is coming. And in those passages, Jesus says to us, remain in me, and I will remain in you Everything about God is relational. In the story of the running father, I'm going to start trying to say that instead of the prodigal son or the lost son. In the story of the running father, the son wants to come home and behave like a servant in his house. The son is thinking logically, um, I'm out here, I've spent all my money, I'm living with pigs, I'm, this is all, I'm in poverty, I'm gonna come home because I know that my, my father teaches, t- treats even the servants better than I'm being treated right now. So I'll just go back home to the father and I'll be a servant in his house and it'll be better off for me. I'll make a sacrifice, I will come back. And the father's like, no. I want you to come back and be my son and relate to me. I want to hug you. I want to hold you. I want to kiss you. So, the five things Jesus cares about more than worship. The one is very obvious and it can become even trite to say, but it's not. It's love. It's love. One of the teachers of religious law comes to Jesus and he says, um, of all the commandments, which one is the most important? And Jesus replies, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only God, and you must love your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And this is what the teacher of the religious law replies. I think I think he's hearing those prophets of all old. I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required by the law. Again, if you look up this phrase, if you go and do a Bible study, see how many times burnt offerings and sacrifices jesus says or god says i want you more than i want what you can sacrifice i want to know you more than what you can do or i want relationship with you first jesus says in the book of matthew he says on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets everything in our bible can be summed up in this 1 Corinthians 13, Stanley read from this last week. If I speak in tongues of angels, but do not have love, if I am a resounding gong or a clanging, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I can boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Our acts, our spreadsheets, our lists, the things we do, our gatherings are nothing without love for God and others. The next three things Jesus cares about more than the law are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus is upset and he's just saying all sorts of woes to the religious leaders. And he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus isn't saying it's, it's, it's bad to tithe. He's saying There's something more important. There's something I care about more. Perhaps Jesus was echoing the words of the prophet Micah. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, or the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? No, he has shown you, O oh, mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Justice, mercy, humility, and faithfulness. I'm not gonna speak a lot about them in detail. I spoke a couple weeks ago about mercy and forgiveness and generosity. You can get more detailed back then, but I just have felt this reminder that God cares about us acting justly, loving mercy, walking humbly, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And another story in the book of Matthew This is the story of Matthew, the tax collector. He invites Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. And along with many other tax collectors and other disreputable sinners, they're eating there. And when the Pharisees see this, they ask the disciples, this is sure a nice question. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? I mean, thank you. Thank you for... Thank you for being with us today and coming to see us, we're the scum. (laughs) When Jesus heard this, he says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he adds, go and learn the meaning of this. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. The message says it this way. Jesus' overhearing shot back, who needs a doctor the healthier the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. This is hard. I'm so thankful Where's my communion, emblems, trash? I don't know where I put them. I'm so thankful Jesus came. And we don't have to sacrifice anymore that way. We don't have to live by the law anymore. The fifth thing God cares about is reconciliation. And this whole message started here for me personally several weeks ago. I was listening to my Bible in the morning because... My eyes, (laughs) I can't see in the morning because I think it's time for reading glasses. (laughs) And so I've been listening to my Bible instead of reading it. (laughs) It takes me till about 10 (laughs) o'clock before I can see. You'll see me soon in reading glasses. (laughs) But I was listening to my Bible in the morning, and I kind of like that anyway. It's become a new tradition for me. And this was the scripture that jumped out at me. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. This is hard. this is hard. It's hard for me personally, and I'll be the first to say, I don't know how to do this because I know that with my brothers and sisters, not everything is right. Not everything is in order. Not everything is reconciled. So I'm like, what does that mean, Lord? I'm so thankful that you paid for my sin at the cross that I can still come and remember you, and I can still come and bring a gift. But this is Jesus saying, reconciliation is more important than what you have to give to me. Jesus is actually saying, it's more important for me to be reconciled with my sister than it is for me to come here and tithe and sing and serve and worship. Whoa! Whoa! Jesus, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> but it really struck me. It was really heavy with me. It was so heavy, in fact, that I went to one friend and I said, I know we have this, this, this different way of seeing things and I know we haven't reconciled this, but I want you to know that I care about this and I'm not okay with it and it's, it's hard and I don't like it. And my friend and I, we prayed together. We prayed that God would help us work through this difference. Is it all fixed? Is it all figured out? No. But we're reconciled. You know, we're connected. God cares more about me being reconciled to my brothers and sisters then he cares about what I can offer at the altar. I'm teary-eyed about it. (laughs) This is a place where we want to encourage worship, singing, gathering, tithes, and offerings, studying scripture, debating over scripture, wrestling with God, serving obedience but this may this first be a place where love abounds and those things flow out of that where mercy forgiveness and justice roll like a river where reconciliation and forgiveness wash away anger and judgment and condemnation So, let me think for a minute here. It's only by the grace of God that we can do this. It's only by the blood of Jesus and the body of Christ. It's only by God's grace. There's no other way we can do this. We can watch all the TED Talks, and I like them a lot. I watch a lot of them. We can do the seminars, and I do those, and I think we should do those. We can read our Bible, and we can pray, and yes, I do all of those things because they help me in my relationship with Jesus. But first, we have to have a different view that it's, it's, it's God the Father who enables us to do this. It's God reaching out to us first. It's God running after us, God seeking after us, God hoisting us up on his shoulders and running us into the village or the town saying, this is my lamb, this is my sheep. That's what enables us to do these other things. In 2010, I'm really nervous to tell, I'm not really nervous to tell this story, except it's about football. And I always butcher football analogies like, oh, look at all those football players out there in their costumes. Oh, uniforms. I mean uniforms, sorry. Or I'll say, I just say all the wrong things like, look, they made a basket. I I don't really say that in football, but (laughs) when they made a touchdown. But anyways, I read this story about football. In 2010, the Chicago Bears football team, I called them the Chicago Cubs yesterday. See, that's how bad I am with football analogies. Anyways, the Chicago Bears football team in 2010 posted a series of videos on their website about what it was like to be a rookie, to try out to be a rookie and get all the way to the final team. Um, of course, the biggest thing on the rookie's mind is, can I make this team? And it begins with 80 rookies who come to this camp, and after a few few weeks, it's cut down to 65, and then before the season begins, it's down to 53, and then finally you have 19 who are invited to the Bears training camp, and then after the training camp, they will only keep seven. So from 80 to 7. So coach, the coach, lovey Smith, he knew that, so he addresses the rookies' concerns right there in that first video. And his challenge to them is this. As a coach, he's saying to these rookies, make us put you on the team. In other words, play so well in practice that the coaches can't imagine cutting you. Make us put you on the team. Take the decision out of the coach's hands. Let your performance make the decision for us. Okay, that works in football because you can't have 80 rookies on a football team, right? And they want the best of the best, and that's not the point. But the kingdom of heaven is not like a football training camp. Hallelujah. (laughs) I would not make it. I can only do 30 burpees, I think. It's been a while since I've tried. (laughs) Most of us raised in religious circles, in places of faith that can become religious, we think that this is how God works with us. I will behave so well, I will check all the right boxes, I will follow all the right rules. And I'll be so much better than everyone else that I'll be invaluable to God. And my performance will take the decision out of God's hands. But God works on a completely different basis than football coaches. Hallelujah. So, back to Luke 15. The lost sheep is separated from others. You don't have to perform to get hoisted on Jesus' shoulders. There's a lost coin hidden in the dirt and chaos of life. But God is going to light a lamp, sweep away the rubble, and find you. The lost child who rebelled but turns back around, heads back home. The good father is searching for you, looking for you, running to you, wants to embrace you. Let's remember to just receive that relationship and not get caught up in a religious system. Let's remember to give that relationship away and not be caught up in a religious system. So I'm going to pray, and then Steve Wonky has some information he wants to give us, some exciting news and update. So God, I just pray. I pray that you forgive us for times we look at our own behavior and we become focused on our lostness and focused on what is right and what is wrong and that we forget to look at you and what you have done for us on the cross and we forget to look and see you and how you've poured out your life for us. Forgive us for Getting wrapped up into church, into rituals, into worship, and losing sight of relationship. And that you are after us and that you want us to be after others. And I pray that you would help us see you, Jesus, today. In the name of Jesus, amen.